Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Hear God's word to us. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Kenny Cluett. Um, I know a lot of you here, but not all of you. I'm a pastor on staff with Christ Community. Um, and I live downtown. I actually live like three streets away. My wife comes to the downtown campus, but I mainly spend my time at Leewood. Um, but I'm so glad to be here this morning. It's fun to see a lot of faces that I don't normally see. Um, and to just hang out with you guys for a little bit. Um, something interesting about us, my wife and I, um, her name is Marta, so you can tell where she's from. My name is Kenny, which is kind of weird. But we're from Spain. I was born here, raised there, just in case you're wondering. That's why I look like this. Um, and um, we, we, we've been in the States for a while, but our plan is in July, we're going back to Madrid in Spain. That's the city where, where we're from, um, to work with a church there and, and see what God's doing in the city and kind of, kind of plug into it. Um, and although it's seven months away, we're already getting ready for it. We're already preparing, right? You have to figure out how many more books I can order. According to my wife, it's none, but I have the Amazon password, so <laughs> too bad. Um, how much clothes we can buy, how, much, how many things we need to give away, right? Kind of thinking through what, what it, what, just what it looks like. We're getting ready. Um, and and it's, it's a hard process sometimes, but there's something exciting ahead that makes it a little easier. And I know there's a lot of people here. I know there's two people in particular that are really getting ready to move. Um, but a lot of people here, you, you, know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You move, it's a new job, it's a new child, it's a new marriage, it's a new... Something new happens and you get ready for it. Um, and, and it's an important process. And this text this morning 
is talking about that, but much bigger. Here's what John's saying. He's saying, get ready. In particular, get ready for Jesus. Get ready for this kingdom that's coming, for, for a new reign, for something new, something big. Um, and, and we've seen a little bit of this through Matthew. If you've been here over the last few weeks, we, we've started a series called For All People. And we've been looking at God's plan for all people. It started a long time ago with a promise um, to make a really big family that he gave to Abraham. And then we saw the hope in Revelation, the end of the promise. And then we honed into the middle, right, to, to Jesus' birth. And over the last three weeks, we've seen this preparation for Jesus to be born, right? First of all, there's this, this family line that Jesus is coming from, fulfilling all the promises there. And th this baby is born miraculously, and there's dreams given to Joseph to not divorce his wife, but stay with it, because this is God's plan. And then you, you feel like the kingdoms of the world are kind of getting ready for Jesus, right? Herod, the, the great Herod, they called him, this evil guy is trembling um, because he's heard of someone in diapers that's about to take over his kingdom. Something big is happening, and Matthew's getting us ready. His family has to flee. They become refugees, go to Egypt, finally come back. And it's just about to start. The plan is about to begin, but there's one more step. There's one more thing missing, and that's the first scene that Matthew puts us into. Um, in, in, his, in, in his account of the gospel, first scene we see Jesus as an adult. Um, if you're a Europe fan, this is the final countdown right here. This is it. This is the moment before the plan begins. And John is the last step, John the Baptist. And so you may be thinking, okay, wh wh why do I care? But this scene is vitally important for us because just as back then they're announcing to this group of people, hey, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom of heaven is here. Um, even, even though we're way ahead of time we're, we're, or we're, much time has passed, the same message is being said to us. The kingdom of heaven is here because here's the thing. Back then, a lot of people didn't know about this kingdom. They didn't grow up as Christians, especially Christians. They didn't grow up Jewish. They didn't know the scriptures. Um, and many people did, and they had heard about this promise. But when Jesus comes, he says, my kingdom is for all of you. It doesn't matter if you knew about it or not. You're either ready or not. So for, for us this morning, this is important. Are we ready for the kingdom of heaven? Are we ready for him to come? And so I want us to listen in and really pay attention to what Matthew's saying here and what John uh, the Baptist message is. What we're going to do is we're going to look at kind of three characteristics of people that are ready, three characteristics of getting ready for the kingdom that appear in this text. Um, so let's go, let's go straight in. The first characteristic, if you haven't opened your Bible yet, go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 3. And if you have a Bible, open it there and put a mark in it. We're going to look at some other places. If you just have an electronic thing, go to Matthew chapter 3 first, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 17. So the first characteristic, the first thing to get ready for is this. Um, people that are ready for the kingdom expect something better. They expect something better. So just imagine with me for a second. Imagine um, that someone comes up to you and says, God's kingdom is coming. The kingdom of heaven is here. And look, I know we hear about this all the time, right? It's Christmas. Oh, God's kingdom. We're, we're, we're in a society that's just embedded with Christian symbolism, so it doesn't mean a lot. But just think about it for a second. What, what's implied with this? A new kingdom, a new citizenship, a new language, a new way of existing coming your way, whether you like it or not. That's what John's saying. And it's not any kingdom, is it? It's the kingdom of heaven. All things made right. The perfect government, the perfect economic system, perfect justice, perfect fairness. It's coming now. That's the idea behind the words here when John says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means you can grab it. You can touch it. You can feel it. It's here. It's for you. And this, was, this kingdom is something that folks had been expecting for years, for decades, for centuries even, 
right? There's stuff all over scriptures telling, anticipating this kingdom that's coming. Did you notice in verse three, you'll see in your Bibles, it's kind of indented because it's a quotation. Um, it's a quotation from a book called Isaiah, this part that says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. It's straight from Isaiah 40. And in fact, what I, what I want us to do now, we're gonna look at that Isaiah 40. So if you have a Bible, keep your hand in Matthew three and go back to Isaiah 40. And here's the thing, when people used to hear a quotation from a part of scripture, this was scripture they memorized as kids. They knew it when they heard this one verse, the whole section, that whole section, the chapter and more than the chapter came to mind. That's what they're imagining. So I want us to take a look for a second in Isaiah chapter 40. This is what people hear when John's saying the kingdom is coming, the paths are being made straight. And what's interesting is chapter 40 in Isaiah is, is a really interesting chapter because the whole book so far of Isaiah has basically been about the bad stuff that's gonna happen. So far, Isaiah has been prophesying judgment and exile and pain and all kinds of nasty stuff that's gonna happen. And then in chapter 40, he turns around 180 degrees. Something changes completely. It's so drastic, this change, that some scholars believe that there's another author that comes in and writes this. They call it the second Isaiah. And I, and I don't think there's a second author. I think there's no reason to believe that. But rather that Isaiah is hearing something from God that's so new, so fresh that he has to use new vocabulary, new images, it's a show it in a different way. That's what Isaiah 40 starts. So let me read this. And as we read it, let's listen to this kingdom, the announcement of this kingdom that's coming. Incidentally, this is the first Arioso, the first verse of Messiah's Hendel. If you've ever seen it, I won't sing it. So you're okay with that. I could try, but it would be terrible. Um, but this is the word that's coming about this kingdom, okay? Isaiah 40, let's read verses one to five. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And here's the verse we saw quoted. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And this is just a taste of what Isaiah goes on to say. He goes on, um, and I'd encourage you to read through Isaiah 40 and keep going um, today over, over these next few weeks to think about what's going on here. But it goes on, and it paints this incredible picture of God, the creator of the universe coming in and bringing justice to the earth. Um, it talks about the nations and power hoarders, and literally the image is they're drops in a bucket. Not even a bucket, really, like holding it in his hand. They're, they're drops, and he throws them out. That's how powerful this God is. He says, I've seen everything. I know what has gone on, and I'm coming to bring justice. Get ready. It's going to be amazing. So now imagine those people who knew this, who held these scriptures, hearing this. These were mostly peasants. They're mostly oppressed, colonized people. Remember, Rome has colonized um, Israel or the people of Israel. They desire this kingdom. They're acquainted with injustice, with the effects of unjust systems and people who abuse their power. They know what that's about. They felt it. Rome was squashing them, and Rome is just the last of the empires that's taken over and that's invaded and that's stolen things. Um, they, they've seen, they've felt this empire press them down, that demanding unfair taxes, sending their young men off to war or to work for something that's unjust. And those who rebel, they're crucified. They've seen this. They know how horrible it is. They're so ready for God's kingdom. 
They're so ready for heaven to come down and rule and be just. And that's exactly what John is announcing. And you see, it's, it's significant. And he talks about him being in the desert and having this clothing. It's because he's dressed like a prophet. He's dressed like Isaiah would be. And he's coming from the desert, which is where God begins so much of his good work. In fact, when you, he, he's telling the truth. He's speaking truth to rulers, unafraid of what's going to happen to him. And we know later in Matthew, or later in, the, later in the story of the gospel, that that cost him his head. But he doesn't matter. They're looking at him saying, finally, someone's saying what needs to be said and saying it well. A new Moses, right? That's the image that's being conjured that Matthew is purposefully putting before us. A new Moses is coming in. Finally, he's going to deliver us. Our exile might finally be over. Now, wouldn't you get excited about that? Can you imagine? Wouldn't you come out to get baptized to see this, John? All evil perpetuated, per- perpetrated against you, against your family, against your people will finally be judged. It will be paid for. Someone is coming who will say things as they are and act to make it right. That's exciting. This excitement, this is the first phase, the first characteristic of getting ready for God. You have to expect it. You got to want his kingdom. Expect something better. Expect God to be doing something greater. Expect something beyond what we've seen. So let me ask you this morning, are you expecting that? Are you desiring the kingdom of heaven? Are you expecting something better? And it sounds easy, right? You could say this. But if we're honest, we know that often we've gotten too comfortable or too disappointed to really expect, to really want anything different. Let me, let me ask this another way that might be more helpful. Are you okay with the way things are now, the world? Are you happy enough with your life, with what's happening around you? Are you okay with how all people, remember we've been talking about all people, are you, are you happy about how all people are being treated? You happy with the evil, both individual and systemic, that continues to shatter hopes and dreams and lives of people everywhere? Are you okay with the way things are? If you are, you're not ready for the kingdom. And that's a problem. Do you notice how harsh John was with the Pharisees and Sadducees? Let me tell you about one of these groups. Let's grab the Sadducees for a second. You know who the Sadducees were? They were the folks with money and with power in Israel. They had the most power in their community. They didn't have all power because Rome had it, but every, every authority that was given to the temple guards, that's who they, they guarded and kept the temple and the economy. They were the ones who had that power. And they came out to check out this new kingdom, right? It's like, oh, this is interesting. But they weren't ready to jump into the water. They were intrigued by the kingdom, but they weren't willing to change anything for it. You see, they were okay with the way the world was. Their life was too good to really be messed with. They didn't expect something bigger from God. They didn't think they needed it. And later in Matthew, Jesus addresses precisely people like them. Remember what he says about them? He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. If, if, if this is all you can expect, this is all you're going to get. That's what John's saying. If, if you're okay with this, that's what you're going to get. Good luck. And look, for us, this is a real warning, friends, because a lot of us are pretty uncomfortable with our lives including myself. We have a job, extra spending money, access to education. Not everyone, but most of us. And look, I'm not saying all wealthy people are Sadducees. That's not what John's saying. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that wealthy people struggle with this a lot. We're tempted. When things are okay, we're tempted to believe that this is it, that this is okay. 
If our experience is okay, we start to think that everyone's experience is probably okay and it's not that big of a deal. And we have to resist that. You have to open your eyes to the whole world, to the experience of others that look different, that make less, that speak another language, that live in another, a different place. Let that tear at your heart and bring you to a place of longing, of expectation for something better. Where your prayer is no longer, Lord, help the poor, but Lord, oh Lord, please come now. We need you. Bring your kingdom. If you're not feeling that pain, pray for it. Maybe you've never heard a pastor tell you this, but pray for God to show you evil if you don't see it. To feel it, to feel the pain of others. Remember that parable um, of, of the Samaritan? What makes the Samaritan different? He feels it. Something is moved in his insides. He feels the pain of others. He longs for a kingdom. Get ready for this kingdom, friends. Expect something better. And look, I know for some of us, it's not um, that we're okay with stuff. We've just been too disappointed. Um, maybe you're more optimistic like I am. Believe it or not, I'm an optimist. Um, and you just get disappointed time after time again, and you start, your hopes start going down. You start expecting less. I struggle with that weekly, daily sometimes. And you know what brings me back? It's reading stuff like Isaiah, reading stuff like the Gospels, remembering what God did, what God did through Christ, what God is doing now, listening to stories of other Christians around the world like Farseed that gets out of prison somehow. <laughs> he, was, he was set, they, they just put a new sentence on him for years and somehow he got out before Christmas. God does stuff. He's doing things. Look at that. Expect something greater. And look, expecting something better isn't enough, though. Christians are not naive optimists. That's not what Christianity is about. And that's very clear in the text. There's something else that John asks us to do. This is the second thing we'll look at. The second characteristic of getting ready. Because notice what he says in his sentence. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Another way of saying this is turn around. Every time you hear repent, you can think of Bonnie Taylor. That really helps me. Okay. Um, those who didn't get that, you're... Be grateful. Um, you see this evil that envelops the world that's all around us? It's not just out there. It's in here as well. <laughs> it's in here as well. John, John says, acknowledge the evil in the world, but also acknowledge the evil or sin. Another way for that, to say that, in your heart, in you. You see, this kingdom of heaven is so massive. It's so perfect and so just that it goes beyond external, ex external appearances. Appearances. Sorry. The kingdom of heaven sees into each and every one of our hearts. If you go back to Isaiah, that same chapter 40, you go down to verse 27, there's this line that says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? In other words, God's asking them, why do you think I can't see you? God sees. He knows that no one has clean hands. He's seen us when we secretly harbored anger, resentment, and hatred. He's seen us break our own moral and ethical commitments. Regardless if those are God's commitments, we break our own. He's seen our participation, voluntarily or not, in collective sins, racial hatred, national crimes, oppression of the poor, you name it, we've been involved. If there is to be a just reckoning, it must include us as well. See, when the kingdom of heaven comes, all other kingdoms must submit or be destroyed, including the republic of me, myself, and I. That's what repent means. It, means. it means to totally turn around to everything that you've been hoping for and expecting and building and wanting to turn away from that, 
It's like when you're driving and your GPS says, turn around, you moron. Um, doesn't say you moron, but you know that's what it's thinking. Right? And you have to turn completely around. All the, all the road that you've made since the last turn that you missed is useless. Um, especially like on those country roads that just take forever. Um, that's why Americans invented the U-turn. By the way, no. Um, it's turning around. It's completely repenting. Completely turning around. And the people coming out to John knew this. And surprisingly, amazingly, they're doing that. They're confessing their sins. Look at verses 5 to 6. It talks about all these people coming. It says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is amazing. I mean, if you really think about it, going out in front of all the people you know and confessing your sins, saying, I was wrong. But the kingdom was so great. They're ready to do that. And this repentance, it runs deep too. It's not just a one-off prayer of forgiveness and then we're set. That's what he means by bear fruit with repentance. Neither is it a kind of mathematical equation where if you do enough good deeds or, or prayers or our fathers um, that, that kind of equivalent to all the bad things you've done, you're kind of okay with God. That's not what it's about at all. It's a posture of submission to God. It's a constant turnaround. It's being okay with being wrong and him being right. It's an authentic desire for his kingdom and not our own. And again, this is why John is so harsh with Pharisees and Sadducees. We talked about the Sadducees, but the Pharisees were different. They weren't necessarily the rich people. They were the moral um, leaders of the country, of the people. They knew God's law and were, they were so concerned about obeying it that they added kind of protection laws around it. Think of it this way. If, the, if God's law said the speed limit's 55, they would put a law in that said the speed limit's 51, just in case just so that we don't break God's law. They, they were concerned about God's law. This was important to them. They were great citizens. And they thought they were great citizens. Externally, they did everything right, and they started to believe that they deserved God's kingdom. Rather than being grateful for God's kingdom, they started to think that it was theirs. They deserved it, that they were ready. And you know what John calls them? He calls them a brood of vipers. In the teaching team, we came up, we tried to figure out how to translate this into modern terms I mean, we decided it wasn't appropriate for church. That's how bad it is, what he's calling them. This is, this is shocking. And what he means by that is that you're spiritually toxic. This is killing them. It's killing them because they're, they're thinking that they're in repentance and they're not, so they don't even know that they have to turn around. And, and the worst thing is, and this is what John's saying to them, you're leaders of this country. You're turning everyone else around as well. You're toxic for them. You're not only dying as a fruitless tree, but you're also making everyone else around you die. You need a new heart. Turn around. You need to completely turn around. And let me just confess something to you this morning. I struggle with this a lot. You see, I can, abo I can avoid big sins. Um, I haven't killed anyone recently. I don't lie too much. I can, uh, that was a joke, by the way. Never <laughs> killed anyone, I don't think. Um, I can be basically nice to people, right? I, I can fake it. I, I can, and then, you know, when you tell people you're a pastor, they just assume that you're nice. Um, and you do something like, oh, just, you know, pastor, just do it. It's terrible. Uh, you can get away with much more th than you think. Um, but there's good weeks that I have, and I start comparing myself to others. And I start saying, well, at least, at least I'm not as bad as that guy or this guy. At least I'm not Gabe, right? Um, a low bar. Uh, no. But because I think I'm okay, I think I deserve special treatment. I think I deserve royal kingdom treatment. And when people don't fully respect me or treat me like I want them to, I can get bitter and unforgiving and run around like a grumpy old man. That's what my wife calls me 90% of the time. Um, she can, don't, oh, stop. Uh, she calls me a grumpy old man, uh, which is great. 
But it's true, right? And a lot of us probably after Christmas vacation, we've been reminded how grumpy we are being around our family. Um, But because I'm not in this posture of repentance, of awareness of my sins and gratefulness for being saved, I'm not aware that I hurt people unwillingly as well. And willingly. And I miss out on God's kingdom. I hurt others. My spirituality is toxic. I start acting as a snake rather than a uh, a tree that bears good fruit. Friends, let's not be like that. Let's not be snakes. Let's be servants. And all of us, you know, John looks at them and says, look, if you, if you think it's, you're okay because you go to church, um, which for them is being called sons of Abraham, right? If, if you think there's an ethnicity thing or your culture, that's not going to save you either. You need to constantly repent and be in this posture of repentance. So friends, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Are you ready? Before I go on, let me be clear, repentance is not the end of the story. Um, if Christianity were just about repentance, it would be a pretty bad religion. In fact, many times Christianity becomes, or there's versions of Christianity that become just about repentance, right? Of feeling bad or sorry or, um, you know, flagellation, sometimes literally. But that's not true Christianity at all. That's not what's in this text either. This text doesn't end in repentance. It goes on. Notice the end of this text. You see, John's insistence on repentance is in preparation for something. Remember, it's the final countdown. It's not the end. There's a final step before someone else comes. That's what he's talking about in verse 11 and 12. He says, someone greater, someone who who not only baptizes externally in water, but can baptize in spirit and fire inside, who can judge hearts and heal hearts at the same time, that person is coming. That's the Christ. There's one person who didn't need to repent. But then the shock happens in this text. Right, that person comes, Jesus shows up, and John knows enough about Jesus um, from personal experience and probably from divine revelation to know that this is, this is someone very special who hasn't sinned, who does not need baptism. And he tries to stop him. But rather than Jesus coming and blasting everyone out of the water, positioning himself above everyone else, he goes down to the water and asks to be baptized. Why? I mean, even John is amazed. He's like the prophet, and he's amazed. He doesn't know what's going on. And and there's a key to this, to a sentence in here that helps explain the center of Christianity. Notice, Jesus answers John. This is verse 15. He says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. Well, what does he mean by that? Matthew immediately gives us some an idea by showing us what happened. He talks about the heavens opening and and coming down to earth and the Holy Spirit coming down in the shape of a dove or like a dove and resting on Jesus. And a voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son with who I am well pleased. Why is that important? What would the readers originally hear from that? What would they understand? And I want to show you something. Um, And it takes takes some time and some study to get it because it, it, it comes from the Old Testament. But here's what people are hearing. Here's what God's doing. Keep your finger in Matthew 3, but then go back to Isaiah, close to where we were. Go to chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 42. And we're in the same section as before. God is describing through Isaiah what is going to happen, this new kingdom. And then he starts talking about this servant, someone who's going to come, someone, the only person who can actually come and fully represent God. In fact, he talks about the servant being a person, but kind of being God himself at the same time. And, And he starts explaining what the servant is going to do. He's going to bring justice. He's going to make all things right. And then he talks about the servant later in chapter 53, suffering, bearing the sins of many, bringing many to righteousness. But notice how he introduces this servant. Look at chapter 42, verse 1. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, 
in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now go back to Matthew. Notice, as the spirit of God, like a dove, rests upon him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Isaiah again, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Then Matthew, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. My servant in whom my soul delights. My beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is being identified as the announced servant. That's what's happening in this baptism. The perfectly obedient servant who has come to be with his people and to suffer for them, his baptism is confirming this role. God's words to him cement it, and he takes on this role being sinless. He had to be sinless, right? Because in the Old Testament, all the sacrifices without blemish. He couldn't have any sin. He couldn't have any point of disobedience from God. So when Jesus looks at John and says, John, we have to do this. This is the Father's will. This is the Father's plan. He's saying, I'm obedient. He's the only servant who could really do God's will, who could really bring justice, the only one who could talk for and with God fully, who could withstand this world and conquer it. And he's being start, his role is beginning. His mission is starting. Jesus' baptism shows him to be God's sinless servant, empowered to bring his kingdom fully to earth. But he's not just being inaugurated as a sinless servant. He's also showing who he's come for. Think about it. Jesus could have asked for a private or a separate baptism, right? According to his uniqueness. He didn't have to be there with the people, those sinners. But instead, he goes down to where all these people are recognizing their sins. Why does he do that? That's what John's asking him. Why are you doing this? Because those are the people that he's identifying with. Jesus goes into the water to show that these sinners were the people that he came to be with and to substitute his life for us. He says, John, throw me in with them. I want to be with them, with us in that water, with repentant sinners. He's saying, I'll take on what they have, their sin, and I'll give them what I have, my righteousness. Throughout the New Testament, we see authors are just astounded by this phenomenon. I mean, think about some of these verses that we've heard often. 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? He says, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. He's not keeping his distance. He's not keeping his hands clean. He's not being like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that stand at a distance to check out what's going on. He goes into the water full of sinners. He's fulfilling the righteousness that we couldn't fulfill, living the life that you couldn't live, and dying the death you deserve to die. And because of all that, he's also our savior. You see, John makes no bones about it. The kingdom of heaven brings repentance that leads to salvation or judgment. There's only two options. Scripture is very clear about this. We've seen it. And God needs to save us from his own wrath for our sins. Early on in Matthew, Matthew's already told us this, remember? Chapter one, verse 21, they said, you should call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from his sins, from their sins. And three years After this baptism, Jesus is going to enter into a fuller baptism, a real death and resurrection that will mark the success of his mission to rescue us. But for now, this baptism anticipates that one. You see, Jesus came not just to fight the righteous fight for us, but he came to be with us.
and he came to save us. This is vital. This is central to Christianity. This is what's different about the end of the story from any other religion or any other version. It's not just about repentance. That's the beginning. The end is Christ. And it's made possible by him. Full repentance is made possible by Christ. And his righteousness is given to us. Did you notice how John talks about the Savior that's to come? He talks about cleaning out the threshing floor, right? And gathering the wheat into the barn. Friends, this is imagery of, of rescue, of safety, of being with him. He's coming to bring his people together and gather him near, giving his life for ours. So how do we get ready for this kingdom? We expect something greater. We turn around, but we, above all, we cling to Jesus. We cling to the one who guides you and saves you. Cling to Jesus. That's how we get ready for his kingdom. That's how we enter into his kingdom. It was then, it is now. Our response to this gospel, our preparation for the kingdom of heaven is to cling to Jesus. I can't say that enough. <laughs> to cling to Jesus now, to enter to his kingdom now and the kingdom that's coming, this justice is coming. We get taste of it now. So this morning, let me ask you, Jesus came to be with us and for us. Are you with Jesus this morning? Are you ready to expect something great, to let him show you both the evil and what is to come to turn from your ways and turn to him and trust him and to cling to Jesus. Are you ready for that this morning? Are we ready for the kingdom? I want to be ready. You know, three years after his baptism, Jesus sat down with his disciples. These were folks who had turned around their lives. Remember, he calls them from their lives. They'd submitted, completed him. They were, they were expectant. Shoot, they thought Jesus was going to come and tear everything apart the next day. And he sat with them and he recalled his mission to them. And he exhorted them and said, continually remember what I came to do because tomorrow something's going to happen. It's going to mark something very important Then I'm going to come back again. And to this day, as Christians celebrate that meal together, that same meal, the same symbols that Jesus gave us, remembering the baptism of death, the real baptism, the final baptism that Jesus, the sinless servant, took on for us so that we could enter into his kingdom today and forever. So this morning, I want to invite us as a response to come together in communion and remember this meal, remember what Christ came to do and what he is doing and what he will do. And the way we celebrate communion here, it's called open communion, which means you don't have to be a member to participate. But communion is for those who have already decided to follow Christ. So if you haven't done that yet, that's fine. We're very glad you're here, but I, I want you to take this time to just think about it. This message that was for people back then is for you today as well. Repent. For the kingdom of God is near. Maybe God's calling you today to repent, to turn around and start following him. If you do come, there'll be two stations in the back. We'll come down the middle and go around the, um, the dividers. And then we'll gather in groups of four to six, take the bread, dip it in the juice, and we'll partake together. But before we do, let me read the words that Matthew records of Jesus' last meal as he tells this to his disciples. Hear the word of God. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When you're ready, please come.